Enterprise Management 360. Hello, my name is Bob Tarzi, a freelance IT industry analyst, and I will be moderating this EM360 podcast looking at threat detection, prevention, and response. Few doubt the scale of the cyber risks faced by organizations today. No organization is 100% secure. Senior managers are increasingly aware of the cybersecurity issues, recognizing them as a core business risk rather than a problem left to the IT department to worry about on its own. The big question is how best to mitigate cyber risks. This must be achieved at the same time as businesses expect ever more from IT as they drive digital transformation. This includes the rollout of Internet of Things type applications that expand an organization's attack surface, ever-growing volumes of data, and the increased use of artificial intelligence. Too often in the past, the focus has been on clearing up after the event rather than early detection and prevention. Many now take a more proactive stance, but have an over-reliance on manual procedures, which make it hard to react in real time or anticipate threats in advance. Effective defense requires automated monitoring of all endpoints including user PCs and smartphones, servers, cloud workloads, and operational infrastructure, which includes legacy and new Internet of Things deployments. To guide us through threat detection, prevention, and response, I'm pleased to be joined by Brian Robison, Chief Evangelist at Silence. Hello, Brian. Could you start by telling us a little bit about Silence and yourself? Hi, Bob. Thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. So as you said, my name is Brian Robison. I have been at Silence for three years now, and I come from about a little over 20-year career in cybersecurity. Started out back in my very early days in the intrusion detection market with a company called Tripwire. And then after quite a few years with them, moved on to some of the more kind of traditional endpoint security companies like McAfee. And then after my long stint at McAfee, I moved out into the mobility industry with a company called Good Technology, which was uh, purchased later by BlackBerry. And then also did a few years at Citrix in the mobility space. So I'm very well versed in a lot of the intersections of uh, technology that you mentioned earlier. And uh, having arrived at Silence, then hopefully uh, you found the uh, company that you now truly believe can deliver effective threat detection, prevention and response. You and the Silence team believe there should be a move to more predictive threat protection where potential attacks are detected as or even before they happen. How is that possible, Brian? Well, it's a good point, Bob. And it's our core belief here that these attacks can be prevented. And the real paradigm shift that we have taken, the different approach that we have taken, is to utilize the massive computing power that is available to us now and kind of invention of artificial intelligence to actually look at past attacks and actually be able to build a predictive model that allows us to look at future things and actually determine whether they're going to be good or bad. 
you talk there about artificial intelligence being key, and that is, I mean, artificial intelligence is a broad category, but one of the biggest ways it's used is by machine learning, which relies on huge amounts of data. So what role does that data play in, in defense, and, and, and how does that work in, in products like those of silence? That's a very good question, Bob. And the biggest key is, as you said, you need millions of data points, more than any human could actually ever look at. So when we first started this trek six, seven years ago, at least company-wide, what they did was look at billions of samples, billions of files. Some files are good, some files are bad, and looked through all of those types of files. Then what happens is you have to extract features from within those files. Early on, you know, you start looking at hundreds of features. And as each of the artificial intelligence brains grow, essentially each generation comes along, you're able to extract more and more and more features out of the object you're looking at. Today, our current models are built around extracting millions of features from billions of files, good and bad. And that essentially gets thrown into the machine learning training system. And through that process, our data scientists end up building a brain that actually can predict whether a file is going to be good or bad. To be clear, those billions of files and millions of features that you talk about, these are, these are big numbers, but they're coming from all your customers and indeed probably other organizations and your customers, but all your customers benefit from your ability to analyze the data. So when you recognize the way one bad file is working and the features that it has, then that benefits all your customers because you're able to apply that intelligence across your customer base. Is that understanding correct? Yeah, that's basically how it works. Today, we don't use customer files for training. We use files that are in the public domain or files that our threat researchers obtain from organizations where we've gone in and stopped an incident from happening. Those all get fed into our training models, if you will along with good files like operating system files and documents and things like that that are valid and good and verified that way. And so you can see, especially faced with, you know, let's say there's on average about half a million new samples of malware created on a daily basis, you can see very quickly how kind of easy it is actually to build a very, very large corpus of good and bad files to essentially train the artificial intelligence brains. You said there's half a million new samples of malware files a day. I mean, that sounds like a big number, but that's because there's variations and, and different samples coming in from different organizations. It might be very similar. So is that right? Absolutely. The thing with the samples on a daily basis is the vast majority, the huge volume all of those files are simply variations on original samples. We still see thousands and thousands of samples of, let's say, WannaCry on a daily basis, but they're not the original sample. They've been mutated or they've been packed or they've been crypted in different ways, packaged differently to basically make the signature-based AVs start their entire process all over again 
of obtaining a sample, reverse engineering it, determining, oh my gosh, this is WannaCry inside of this new looking package. So therefore, we just add the hash of that to our signature and pump that out to our customers. That process takes a lot of time. And because the malware itself inside is very similar, it has the same features that the file did back in 2017, that can be easily seen by artificial intelligence in milliseconds to actually prevent the file from running without having to do some sort of reverse engineering and signature development. And and most of the malware that organizations see is going to be these reused malware that's that's been seen in the past. And because they change it, they morph it. That means that, as you say, traditional signature-based antivirus products aren't going to work but your more intelligent process of identifying, of examining and detecting them can. What happens with your systems when it's a zero-day piece of malware that's never been seen before, something completely new? I know that's rare, but you must be able to cope with that as well. Well, absolutely. You know, that is the biggest benefit that the AI-trained product actually has, is that based upon historical malware, it is able to then say, this new file that I have never seen before, I don't have to upload it to a cloud. I don't have to upload it into some reverse engineering application. I don't have to run it in a sandbox or anything. I'm going to hold that file for a few milliseconds between when the user or a process says start. And I'm going to look at that file and run it against my algorithms and determine where it appears you know, essentially on my statistical chart, it's going to score and rank it. And, you know, this really does change the paradigm. So let's go back for as an example to WannaCry. WannaCry hit the world in May of 2017. It had never been seen before, except by the original author. Now, when WannaCry came out, there were no silence customers who were in prevention mode that were impacted at all. And that is a huge statement to make, but it is the truth. No customer was impacted if they were running silence and preventing. Now, a lot of other people who were running more traditional based AV products based upon signature or based upon, you know, kind of the next gen model of let's check with the cloud or let's let's upload it to an environment where it can execute before we let it run or, you know, based upon behavior most of those customers did get hit with WannaCry. And when we looked at the original sample that hit in May of 2017, one of the things we like to do is we run it against our older brain. We run it against our older models. And in fact, the first model that we produced in 2015 was actually able to determine that that sample of WannaCry was going to do something bad if it were allowed to run. So not only did we stop it with the product that was in place in the world in 2017, we actually would have been able to prevent it from running with a version of our product that was from 2015. So two years before WannaCry ever even existed, we were actually able to predict and prevent it from running. That's a great example because WannaCry was quite high profile, especially um, in the UK where our NHS got badly hit. But sorry, I carry on, Brian. 
No, I was just going to say, I, I have a, an interesting term for this. I call it dead on compile. Basically, the malware is dead before it's ever even compiled by the original developer. It's an interesting concept, but that's what happens when you can actually get into a predictive and preventative state versus a detect based upon behavior and clean up afterwards. That's really interesting to, to hear the level that you can go to in detecting malware. It is often said that the most persistent attackers will succeed at least some of the time. Can you say that silence customers have moved beyond that or are there still ways that attackers can work around your product and get into organizations, perhaps using malware or by other techniques that, that you don't address? Oh, that's a great point, Bob. What we've been talking about is essentially the kind of the core feature of our product, which is the anti-malware prevention engine. Now, obviously, there are many other ways. And in fact, you know, we've seen a pretty decent decline in executable malware attacks. You know, we're no longer getting as many EXEs or DLLs emailed out and things like that that we have seen in the past. And I have to personally think that that's because of technology like Silence that's actually out there preventing those executables from running. So on the contrary, we're seeing a huge increase in what the industry calls fileless attacks. And I think there's a huge misunderstanding of what an actual fileless attack is. A fileless attack is not a file-free attack. And what I mean by that is that the vast majority of what are called fileless attacks are simply not executable at their very first stage. These are things like weaponized documents that use scripting that's built in, or it's living off the land type of attacks that are using very, very powerful tools that exist inside of these operating systems that are already trusted by the operating system and trusted by the security products installed to do bad things on behalf of the attacker. And so we do see the world moving to more of this fileless type of attack. Now, silence does include technology that prevents malicious scripting, malicious JavaScript and C script and W script and all these different types of technology. And when used in proper fashion, these attacks get prevented, whether it's a macro running inside of a document or whatever. And we've got the ability with our product to determine what is a good macro from a bad macro, as an example. And so customers are very, very, very effective at stopping non-executable type of attacks like that that are using the operating system against itself, at least at the first stage. The interesting thing is, is that malware is still involved. It's usually downloaded as a second stage or maybe even a third stage, or even when the attacker is complete, they have established a foothold or whatever, then they're going to in install a Trojan or a rootkit or something to be able to stay there. Or maybe they'll just ransom the system when they've exfiltrated the data that they want. Well, I think we've always known this, that uh, there's a, a kind of arms race between attackers and defenders, uh, silence being a defender, of course. And it's clear you're addressing some of the most advanced threats. 
And I guess no cyber response company is ever going to give a 100% guarantee to its customers, but it sounds like you're in a pretty high 90s percentage in terms of what you can detect. Is that a fair thing to say? Well, I agree with you, Bob. You know, nobody will say, including us, that they will prevent 100% of attacks. But it is very safe to say that, especially in the executable type of files, that silence is probably, you know, one of the most effective solutions at solving that type of attack. You know, something you mentioned earlier, as IT is faced with you know, these big pushes in digital transformation, moving to the cloud, et cetera, we provide essentially better security at a fraction of the resources that are required for existing products that are out there today. So there's kind of a double whammy for customers that choose silence. One, you get far superior prevention of attacks, which allow you to, you know, sleep at night and coach your kid's soccer team or whatever, And you also get the side benefit of a much, much, much reduced load on both your staff as well as all of your endpoints that are under coverage. Well, let's come on to that because it's true that much of the heavy lifting done by uh, companies like Silence, that is the analysis of samples, the development of AIs, and that is all the cloud-based thing, and the users benefit from that. But however, you still need to have agents on these endpoints to actually detect what's going on locally. Do you always need those agents on the endpoints? And what are the overheads involved with those agents? Well, there's a couple of different scenarios where agents become an impact to the customer. And probably one of the biggest is impact to user productivity. So I know many of the listeners here have probably had users outside their offices with pitchforks and torches complaining about their computer slowing down or they're trying to get something done and it's got to do a daily download of anti-malware updates and it's got to do a weekly scan or all these different problems that you know our end users are essentially faced with every single day. And one of the biggest, I think, feedbacks that I have heard from many of our customers not just the IT folks, but the actual end users, especially executives or high-end users that just want that highest end performance, they basically say, thank you for giving us our machines back. And that's a really big testimonial that says, because of how we work, we do not do daily updates. We do not do weekly scans. We do not have to do those types of things that the industry has had to live with for 20 plus years, those problems actually just simply melt away and memory consumption and CPU consumption, disk consumption, et cetera, are literally a very tiny fraction. It's magnitudes of order less than the regular type of anti-malware endpoint protection software solution that is out there today. That's great, Brian. Users getting their endpoints back. So the low footprint you have on end user devices It's great for them, but presumably it also, having such a a low impact on the endpoint, enables you to put agents on IoT, Internet of Things type devices, and be effective in that area as well. Absolutely. There's a couple of different points I want to make there, Bob. As 
IT is essentially trying to move critical infrastructure into the cloud. Cloud provides quite a few benefits over perpetually purchased hardware that's on your premises. And one of those is that if the quote, you know, machine or application is not busy, it's not supposed to cost you money. Now, the problem there is, you know, while we're trying to transform our IT applications and our business processes into this new paradigm, we're doing at the same time, we're deploying 20 plus year old technology into that new environment. So it's very common to see where machines that are in the cloud have to be fired up every single day to simply do a security update. They've got to be fired up each week to do a scan of their disk over and over and over again. And that is literally dollars wasted. It's dollars wasted because when that machine is powered up to simply do an update of something operational like that, it's taking dollars away from building your business or growing your revenue growth as a company. Now, if you are running on-premises servers or anything like that, I mean, over the past, again, 20 years, we have moved pretty much everything into virtualization. Virtualization allows us to run older operating systems longer, you know, way past the hardware lifecycle, things like that. And we have many customers who have experienced a greater than 20% increase of the number of virtual machines that can be run on a physical server. Because we use so much less memory, so much less CPU, and practically no I.O. at all, these customers are really able to put more density inside of their IT environment, whether it's on-premises or in the cloud. Great. Okay. Well, I guess that brings me on to my final question, uh, because silence is not a charity. You charge um, organizations for your product. You've already indicated there that you reduce costs in many areas. Nevertheless, many senior IT managers and the boards they report to still see cybersecurity as a cost. And you believe the investments involved can provide a return for businesses. How do you justify that statement? I think you've you've started to do so in your last answer, Brian. Could you just sort of turn that full circle and say how IT security can actually provide a return for businesses? That's a really good point, Bob. And that's something that, that I talk with folks about all the time. If you're looking at silence as a very specific example, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as simply a line item cost on a budget. Today, you have that. It helps you meet a compliance you know, mandate or whatever you have, but it doesn't do anything for your business except cost you dollars, not just in license costs, but you know, all the on-premises equipment required to push out all those daily updates, all the people that are required to make sure all that happens, et cetera. And what I invite people to do is to change the discussion that you're having with management. Stop having a line item cost center budget discussion and engage in a more, how can this purchase help us grow the business or help us shift our resources from essentially being a negative cost center 
and move it into something that can actually grow our business. And I invite folks to engage with silence, not as a replacement of an existing cost center, but engage with us as a valued business partner that can help you actually grow and expand your focus and your business rather than, you know, just costing you more. And that is done through a couple of different facets. We already talked about kind of the end user friction, if you will, right? That problem goes away. You can put more VMs per physical server or more VMs in the cloud with reduced cloud load, with reduced cloud cost. Those are great. But think about or imagine what you could do with your business or your team if they weren't constantly fighting fires of detecting and responding to cybersecurity incident. The time, the resources, all the people that are internally employed to deal with all these events and incidents and investigations and responding, re-imaging, all this kind of stuff, if you can redeploy those assets into areas that can help grow your business, that's where the value comes in. And that's why Silence is a value-add business partner, not just a, a cost center line item on a budget. Well, that's great. So thanks. Clearly, Silence believes that its products can help you get more from your IT infrastructure and more from your human capital as well. So thanks to Brian Robison of Silence for providing these insights into threat detection, prevention and response. And thank you for listening to this EM360 podcast. For more podcasts like this, head to em360tech.com.